Um, indeed, I am going to talk about something for two minutes. Uh, today's, today's topic is Charles Finney. Uh, Finney was a 19th century evangelist, one of the uh, greatest evangelists of the 19th century. But he started out as a lawyer. And today I want to do something a little different. I'm just going to read straight from Finney's own words about his conversion experience and what that meant for him. So this is Finney's own words from his journal. This is what he says. Then one night in October 1821, a strange feeling came over me as if I were about to die. I knew that if I did, I should sink down to hell, but I quieted myself as best I could until morning. At an early hour, I started for the office. But just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me. What are you waiting for? What are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out righteousness on your own? Just at this point, the whole question of salvation opened to my mind in a manner most marvelous to me. I saw as clearly as ever I have since the reality and fullness of the atonement of Christ. I saw that his work was a finished work and that instead of having or needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I had to submit myself to the righteousness of God through Christ. Salvation seemed to me an offer to be accepted. It was full and complete and all that was necessary on my part was to give up my sins and to accept Christ. North of the village lay a piece of woods, and I turned and bent my course toward these woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human eyes and ears so that I could pour out my prayer to God. But still my pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Probably there was not a person on earth that would have suspected such a thing had he seen me going. But so great was my pride and so much was I possessed with the fear of man that I crept along under the fence till I got so far out of sight that no one could see me. Then I penetrated into the woods and knelt down for prayer, vowing that I would give my heart to God or never come down from the woods again. As I returned to the village, I found that my mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. No words can express the love that was in my heart. I wept aloud with joy, and I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The next morning, a client came into my office and said to me, Mr. Finney, do you recollect that my cause is to be tried at 10 o'clock this morning? I suppose you're ready. I had been retained to attend his suit as his attorney. I replied to him, Mr. B, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause, and I can no longer plead yours. He looked at me with astonishment and said, what do you mean? I told him in a few words that I had enlisted in the cause of Christ and that he must go and get somebody else to attend court. I could not do it. Without making any reply, he went out and I sallied forth from my office to converse with those whom I, would, whom I should meet about their souls. I had the impression, which has never left my mind, that God wanted me to preach the gospel and that I must begin immediately. No longer had I any desire to practice law. Everything in that direction was shut up. My whole mind was taken up with Jesus and his salvation. The world seemed to me of very little consequence. Nothing, it seemed, could be put in competition with the worth of souls. No labor could be so sweet and no employment so exalted as that of holding up Christ to a dying world. Charles Finney. Today's scriptures from James 1, verses 19 through 27. Uh, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, 
and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How do I look? All right, good. Uh, I had a couple different reactions. Jack said, you didn't look in the mirror this morning, did you? When I got here. And Charity said, you look normal. And I'm not sure which of those to be more offended by. Uh, I was like, weird. But there is a point, okay? We don't really have a strict staff dress policy here at Life Church, but I'm pretty sure I'm breaking it. But there is a point to that. And I want to let you know, like, if you come to church like this, totally cool. We're really relaxed here. We want you to hear about Jesus. We don't care what you look like. For me, I'm not going to do this again, but there is a point in this sermon, all right? So um, I want to start with our core students today. Obviously, it's cool. Nate and Rachel got to lead us in core prayer, core style prayer. Um, But here's a question for you. What is your main job as a kid? If you had to boil it down, what would you say your main job is as a kid? Your main responsibility? Anybody? Hey, make my parents happy. You, you Hitchcock just got it all together over there. <laughs> You're really, really close to what I, I had intended, Eden. Really, really, your job is to listen to your parents and obey them, right? It's pretty simple. Listen to, and, to your parents and obey them. Hear what they say and do it. Um, And, of course, there are two real parts to that, right? There's the hearing and the doing. Because sometimes your parents will come to you, kids, and they'll say, hey, why didn't you do that thing that I told you to do? And you say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Right? Anybody ever had that experience? Like like we have in my home, oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. Um, And so there's that first real part, the hearing part. But then the obeying part is also a real experience, right? Where maybe, kids, you intend to obey. You say, yeah, I know mom and dad told me to do this, but I got a lot of other important things to do. I got to keep up with my snap streak. Got to Instagram that person, you know, whatever it is that you guys are really busy doing and you forget to obey. So that's really important, too. So I'm not saying it's easy to be a kid. It's hard, difficult, but it's not terribly complicated, is it? Just boils down to Listening and obeying, hearing and doing. And there are lots of other things in life that way, too. If you're an athlete in here and you have a coach, it's pretty similar, right? You hear what the coach says, get their game plan, and you execute it. You listen and obey. You hear and you do. Um, if you have any military experience, very, very similar, right? You, um, you listen very carefully to what your commanding officer says, and then you carry out the tasks. You hear and do. Again, not easy, but not complicated either. Um, how many of you have ever owned any sheep? A little bit different metaphor, illustration here. So we do have some people that have owned sheep. I, you know, we got a bunch of city slickers in here, so I was like, uh, we probably won't be able to relate to this one. But if you've owned sheep, not the brightest animal in the world, but their job description is pretty straightforward. 
listen to what the shepherd says, and obey, follow, right? Now, what do all these word pictures have in common? They're all ways the Bible uses to describe the life of a Christian, the life of a believer, a child, an athlete, a soldier, a sheep. That's the way that we're described. And there's lots of things that we could say about each one of those things, but really, the, the commonality is they all boil down to just this very simple thing, listening and obeying, hearing and doing. And that's what we're called to do our whole lives. Um, as Charity mentioned in the welcome, we are launching into a new sermon series today. It's called Listening Well. And this series is going to lead us up to Advent. So we've got eight weeks to Advent. We've got two special services in there. So we're going to spend about six weeks in this series. And it's a series, I think it's pretty exciting because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit speaking to all of you. So we've taken the, the last month or a little bit more than a month to really pray and listen to the Holy Spirit and ask, what would you speak to us as a church? And then you've submitted responses to us through the website. And um, Charity's passed those along to me. I've passed those along to the, list, or to the preaching team. We've sort of said, hey, some of these things are grouped into themes, and so let's spend six weeks preaching on them. We're not going to be able to cover all the things that you submitted. If you want to talk more about those, some of you left your name, some of you didn't, so I can't follow up with all of you. Um, but please come and talk to me if you have further questions about those. Thank you for submitting responses. Thank you for listening carefully to the Lord. It's really exciting. Um, so we're going to be spending six weeks or so um, looking at these specific things that you all have felt like the Lord is speaking to Life Church, um, And this sermon series comes as a good, at a good and important time for us because we as a church, as you know, have been listening to the Lord for future vision, right? Nathan's been leading the listening team. Some of you are on the listening team. Um, all of us have participated in activities as a church together, and all that stuff is really, really important. But hopefully you've also been praying through this season as I have been and the elders have been. And one thing that I've just felt so strongly for the Lord, no matter what the Lord leads us to do vision-wise, there's one thing that we're never, ever, ever going to get away from. There's one thing that's never going to change, and that is our basic responsibility to listen to the Holy Spirit and obey. That, that's always going to be there. Now, the Lord might give us special strategies and plans of how to go about making disciples. All that's great. But God would never give us a vision for the church that just allows us to push cruise control. He would never allow us a vision that allows us to stop listening actively for the voice of the Holy Spirit and obeying. That's always going to be the main thing. So that's what this series is all about. And that's what today's text is all about as we kick it off. So let's dive deep into our text today. And, and it's a text, honestly, that's quite simple. Like, this, this is not terribly hard to understand. I'd say this is a grade school-level text with a Ph.D.-level difficulty of applying it, right? And you know that texts can be that. They can be very, very simple and direct, very, very difficult to apply. And so here's my outline if you're taking notes on this uh, section in James 1. James gives us four things in this text. Encouragement to hear, a warning about hearing only, the reward of hearing and doing, and then the secret to hearing and doing. Okay, so there's the four things if you're taking notes. So let's start. First of all, encouragement to hear. Look at verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Then he says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, be quick to hear, says James. 
And this is an incredibly needed word in the church today, but just in the world today, right? Because there are just so many voices clamoring to be heard. But I don't know about you. I just don't see a lot of people saying, I'm really trying to figure out how to listen better. You know what I mean? I just don't hear people saying that. Or just like, how do I listen better to those around me? How do I listen better to God? Um, we want to be heard. So we're, we're blasting out our opinions on social media. And, um, and, you know, the news is blasting out their opinions. And, and politicians are blasting out their opinions. Everybody wants to be heard. But nobody is really that interested in listening. And consequently, James says, we're very quick to get angry. Have you noticed that? Our culture is pretty angry. Um, we're really quick to speak, and we're really, really quick to get angry. Like, everybody's hacked off about something. Everybody's about to blow a gasket, it feels like. You know, just on the edge of their seat all the time. And James says, you got it all backwards. You want to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and therefore slow to get angry. So we want to train ourselves to be really, really good listeners. Um, I want you to think of the wisest person you know. Just get the, the picture of their face in your mind. How much does this person speak versus listen? Because not always, but most of the time, the wisest person in the room is the one who is the slowest to speak. They're also the person that's usually a very, very skilled listener. They're really good at that. And as a church, we want to grow in this. We want to become especially skilled in listening to God. You know, Raymond um, shared a story last week when we were doing uh, prayer before church. And it was about Mother Teresa. And so I was very interested in it. So I had to look it up this week. And sure enough, this is what happened. A reporter once asked Mother Teresa what she often said when she prayed. She's known for having a really deep prayer life. And Mother Teresa answered saying, well, I don't say much. I mostly listen. The reporter then asked her, so what does God say to you? And again, Mother Teresa answered, well, he doesn't say much. He just listens. There's a lot of wisdom in that. See, friends, we want to be quick to hear, quick to listen and slow to speak. That's what we want to form into our souls, not just in this series, but hopefully every single year as we go along walking out this Christian life. We want to be attentive to the voice of the Lord. Now, um, Angela asked this in the back, and I think this is the question that's on many of our hearts. It certainly is on my heart as I prepared. What does it mean to listen to the voice of the Lord, right? There's, there's lots of different questions about that. How do you know you're hearing the voice of the Lord? Um, I wish we had time in this sermon series to address all of those things. We don't, but obviously there's lots of different ways the Lord speaks. Um, I think mainly and chiefly through his word. He speaks through what he has spoken, but he can also speak through um, one another, you know, other believers filled with the Holy Spirit. He can speak through prayer just in your mind and in your heart as you listen to him. You can speak through visions and dreams, all kinds of different ways the Lord can speak to you. We're not going to cover all of those things, but what I want you to be confident in is if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and you can hear the voice of the Lord. You can hear him. Um, Jesus says this confidently in John 10. He says, my sheep know my voice. A stranger they will not follow, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So just like sheep, get really tuned into their shepherd's voice, we know, if we belong to Jesus, we know his voice, we can hear him. That doesn't mean you're not going to get it wrong sometimes. It doesn't mean you're not going to have questions, but you can hear the voice of your shepherd. And the context of today's passage is specifically hearing God through his word, the Logos, the Bible, which I think is the most reliable way to consistently hear God. 
So James urges us to be quick to hear. But then he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. I love that word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So there seems to be two parts to listening well, to hearing well. There's, um, you know, the hearing of the word kind of audibly, but then there's this, this next step of kind of receiving it, letting it implant itself into you. And this word implanted in the Greek has all kinds of horticultural uses, of course, right? It just seems to make sense. Um, so think about a farmer or a gardener. When you go out to plant seed, do you just kind of throw it in the air over, over the soil and just kind of hope for the best? No. I mean, maybe Jack could get that to work, Jack's about the only guy that could get stuff to grow that way. But the rest of us, we got to go out there and intentionally plant it in the soil to give it its best shot at coming up and producing fruit. That's what it's saying here. We want the Word of God to be implanted into us where it can take root and spring up and produce all kinds of fruit. But in order to do that, James says, we need to receive it with meekness. Or humility is another word there. We need to receive the Word with humility and then it'll implant into us. And James is going to hit on the, the topic of humility other places in his letter. He's big on this. Because when we're filled with pride, we really can't receive anything from the Lord. Now, that's why C.S. Lewis said pride is the anti-God state of mind. Because you cannot look up to God who is above you when you're so busy looking down on everyone else. Right? So, so pride eliminates our ability to receive from God. That's why we need humility to receive the implanted word. It takes humility to receive the implanted word because the word's going to challenge you. Anybody ever notice that? You students of the word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to point out things to you that you would rather not see. All the ugly, nasty places in your heart, the word's going to shine light on and say, do you see that? You notice this over here? Have you looked at this recently? It's not always enjoyable, but it takes humility to say, yeah, okay, I see that. And I want to receive that word. I want it to be implanted into me. I want it to change me. So how do we do that? How do we, with humility, receive the implanted word, the logos, as James put it, sit here? Well, this could mean the difference between just reading your Bible daily to kind of check the box. You know how this is. Hey, I did my Bible reading for the day. Kind of letting it glance off of you versus like wrestling with it. Versus um, meditating on it, studying it, memorizing it, you know, letting it bother you. If the word's not bothering you, you're probably not spending enough time with it, right? Getting together with some of your circles of Christian friends saying, what does this mean? What does this require of us to do? Let it irritate you and annoy you so much until you actually do something about it. That's what James is saying here. He wants it to produce action in your life, which brings us to the next point where James gives us a warning about hearing only. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word. So he wants this word implanted into us. And he says, but... Don't want to just implant it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So James warns that hearing the word and not doing anything about it is a powerful form of self-deception, right? And the enemy, of course, loves deception. He's a master of deception. Um, but one thing he loves more than deceiving people himself is when we're willing to deceive ourselves. He just loves that. He gets what he wants and doesn't have to do anything. You know, he can just sit back and, and watch us deceive ourselves. So in this context, he would love for us to feel like we're living out these really rich, authentic Christian lives. And in reality, all we're doing is hearing the word 
We're not doing anything about it. And I actually think in this way, the enemy loves the way that um, church has been practiced in America for a long, long time, right? Because if you would ask your average Christian in America, a lot of times they would say, what do you, what, what's your Christian duty? Well, I go to church. I go to church. And so they feel like I did my Christian duty for the week. I went to church. And in reality, church is one of the main places we come to listen to God. Right? That's why we've been so big on this, like listening to God in the worship, in the prayers, in the, in the preaching of the word. This is where we hear from God. And certainly we're listening throughout the week as well. But the rest of the time is about doing. It's about applying the word of God that we've heard. So if all you do is come to church, I'm sorry, but you're just listening. Just did the first part of what James says. You've heard, but what about doing anything about it? You haven't acted upon it yet, right? So if the enemy can convince you, like, yeah, church is the only thing you need to do. Just go, just go here. You just wind up a really fat sheep. That's what happens to you. You just ingest, ingest, ingest more of the word. You never do anything about it. James uses this metaphor here that's pretty profound. And I never really understood it until I started studying it this week. And that's where I got the idea to dress how I'm dressed today. And I did this because I never want you to forget this. Now, yesterday my hair was way crazier. So I'm like, man, I'm dreading tomorrow. It's going to be awful. Um, When I woke up today, I looked into the mirror for a good long while. I did. I actually did. And instead of making changes to how I look like I normally would, I did nothing. I just said, forget it. I'm fine. I'm just going to go the way I am. And that's what James says here. He's like, I, and I, he's not saying like, hey, it's good to remember the way you look and think about your image all day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to hear the word and do nothing about it is like getting up, looking in the mirror, taking a good look at all this that needs to be changed, the hair sticking up in the back, and, and your, you know, your face that needs to be washed, and maybe some makeup needs to be put on, and you're, you need to shave. And he say, you notice all that stuff, and you say, well, I'm fine. You don't do anything about it. That's exactly what it's like to hear the word and do nothing. James is like, what's the point of looking anyway then? If you're not going to do anything about it, what's the point of even having a look? What's the point of even having a mirror if you're not going to change anything? You're just deceiving yourself. You're just delusional now. That's not helping anybody. And we can really slip into this as Christians, and we really do. We get to the point where we love the prayer times and we love the Bible studies and we love all the the sermons and we just want more and more and more of that stuff. But when it comes to doing, we're like, ah, I'm good. I don't think I need that. I just want to listen to more. I just want to hear more. And James is like, hearing is great. But if there's no doing, what's the point? What's the point? The reality is there's all sorts of stuff the Lord has called us to do and things he's called us not to do. And when we hear the word and really look at it, there's plenty we could change about our lives, right? If only we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's what James is getting at here. That brings us to the third point here. James says there's a real reward in hearing and doing. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts... He will be blessed in his doing. So James says the one who doesn't just hear the word but also acts on it, he's blessed in his doing. And that word blessed is also translated happy, by the way. Happy. He's happy. When you were a kid, did you ever just obey your parents or do something that, they kn- that you knew they wanted you to do without them asking? And just experience the joy of that? Like life was good. 
You were in good relationship with your parents. You remember what that felt like. That was a blessed experience. It's like weird that it made you so happy to just do what your parents wanted you to do, you know? And you, did, you went above and beyond, did an awesome job. That, friends, you were built for God. True happiness cannot be found outside of him. Just look at Adam and Eve. Look at the first humans. How did they start, right? They were in the garden, walking and talking with God, listening to him in the cool of the day, carrying out his instructions in all of creation, completely obedient to him, and happy beyond measure. Happy beyond what any of us have ever even attempted to taste. So happy because they were 100% completely home. But then they disobeyed, and everything started to unravel. Everything started to fall apart and, and die. Because we were designed to be obedient to God. That's where we were designed to be blessed and happy. And sometimes I think we make obedience to God out to be nothing but drudgery. And to be sure, obedience to God can be really hard sometimes. You know, it can be very, very challenging and difficult. He doesn't just ask us to do easy stuff. Um, I get that. But there's always a blessing waiting for us in it too. The text says that hearing and doing the word of God means blessing. It means happiness. It means all kinds of goodness is going to flow into your life. And not the kind of goodness like the prosperity preachers tell you. Like, hey, you do this and God's going to sow back into your life a hundredfold and you're going to get rich and you're going to, everything's going to be awesome. No, no, no. We all know that's not true. Jesus' obedience led him to the cross. End of story. Right? We know that's not true for our lives. But what it means to be blessed in the Old Testament is proximity to the face of Yahweh. Like Yahweh's face was close to you, was near to you, was upon you. That's what it meant to be blessed. It means you get relationship with God himself. That's why we give the kids that old Hebrew blessing from Deuteronomy. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's all about his face, right? That's what a blessing is. It's when God's face is turns towards you. It's his, his face is shining on you. You were built for him. You can only be happy and home in him. That's what it really means to be blessed. And that's what James is saying is you're blessed when you hear the word of God and you do it. God's face is shining upon you. He's pleased with you. So in light of that, I would ask you, Life Church, are you a doer of the word or are you a hearer only? Are you a doer of the word or are you a hearer only? Are you listening and obeying? James gives us a couple examples here for us to ponder as we get ready to close. Verse 26, he says, If anything, anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, second time he's mentioned being deceived, this person's religion is worthless. So another example of self-deception. Like if you think you're an authentic Christian and you're really knocking it out of the park, but you don't bridle your tongue, you're just a loose cannon, you just say whatever you feel, James is like, what? how is that worth anything? That religion is worthless. Why? Hasn't made any change in your life hasn't affected you. It hasn't impacted you. He's like, real religion should lead to a change in your life. And James is big on that. Faith and works working together throughout his letter. Um, sometimes when we read James, we have to be careful that we don't get into like works-based righteousness, right? But he's really not saying that. He's saying like, we are saved by faith, but it should always be accompanied by good works. Like true faith is always accompanied by good works. Martin Luther said, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works. James goes on to say in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction 
and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, brothers and sisters, these are actions. These are real things to be done. This is what James is getting at. What God is wanting from us is not just hearing the word, but doing it, carrying it out. You know, as we're leading up to the season of Advent, you know, in Life Church, we try to take Advent a, a countercultural direction. We, you know, the whole culture is going to push you to start thinking about what you want and making your list and buying stuff and consuming stuff. And we start saying, no, 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 no. How about we fast? How about we pray? How about we lean into generosity over here and these virtues that God would form in us as we await the second Advent of our King, Right? as we await for his kingdom coming. And I wonder what God is wanting to do through us, even in this season, even in this next year. Because here's the reality, friends. There are kids here and around the world that don't have enough to eat. And that just bugs me. Does it bug you? Some kids will die today because they don't have enough food? We're all trying to lose weight? That bothers me. It just bothers me. Um, It bothers me that, look, There are kids, there are people in this country and around the world who are being trafficked for sex right now, being sold like you sell cattle. That bothers me. What are we going to do about that? You're going to have an opportunity to hear from somebody in a couple weeks who's going to talk to you about that, that very opportunity. What would God, what action would God have us to take in that. There are kids in the foster care system right now in our city. And by the way, in the U.S. alone, there are twice the number of churches than there are foster kids available. So if one out of every two churches would take one foster kid, we could eliminate the system right there. I mean, what would God call us to do? What action would he call us to take? If this is the word of God, right? Like if he says, be, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. I get not everybody's called to the same thing. Like, this is not law. I'm not smashing you with the law, but I'm just saying, what are we called to do? There, there's more of a drug and alcohol problem in our community than there ever has been. I was visiting with a young couple that took their two little girls over here to play on our swing set a couple weeks ago, and they said, hey, thanks so much for building this playground. It's so nice and clean and safe. And they said, you know, we live at the apartments just a couple blocks down, and there's always needles and glass on the playground. And I was in those apartments. It's true. It's a huge drug and alcohol problem here. It's not like it's out there. It's a huge problem. What action would God have us to take in our community? There's so much to be done, and there's so much blessing that comes in working in all of it. Which leads us to our final point. The secret to hearing and doing. The secret. we got to end with the secret. What's the secret to hearing and doing, to listening and obeying? There's just one problem if we quit right here with the text, right? If, we just, if I just say, hey, there it is, um, hear and obey God's word, just do it every time and you'll be good, go home and do that. And the problem is this text is crushing. It's absolutely crushing to all of us. Now, maybe you're in a good streak, you're a hot streak lately, right? You've been listening pretty well and obeying pretty well. But I tell you what, you're going to have a low time. You're going to have times where you miss. What about then? I think if we're honest, most of us would say, look, I am mediocre at listening and obeying at best. So what do I do about that? What does that mean? I'm in that category. Mediocre at best. Thankfully, the secret to listening and obeying well, hearing and doing, doesn't come down to trying harder in your own strength. It actually comes down to to realizing that you couldn't listen and obey well enough. You couldn't. It's it's admitting that you couldn't. See, friends, remember the children of Israel? We did this series 
not long ago about judges and their terrible cycle. Like they would sin and run after other gods. They'd do well for a while, then they'd run after other gods and sin and run away from God. And then he would allow their enemies to take them over and they would cry out to God for deliverance. Then he would send a judge and the whole thing would repeat itself. The whole disastrous cycle, it was awful. That's not just Israel's story, that's our story too, right? We are not prone in our sinful nature to obey God, to listen carefully and obey God. We're prone to wandering. So like if it's up to us, to listen and obey well enough, we're hosed. We are in huge trouble. We're not going to make it. So thankfully, it's not up to us to listen and obey well enough. That's not the case. It's not riding on us. It's all riding on Jesus and his obedience. See, friends, do you remember in John 12, 49, Jesus said, I say whatever the Father tells me to say. He got up every single morning to pray diligently to receive the word from his father. He said, I don't say anything the father doesn't tell me to say. I don't do anything the father doesn't tell me to do. He listened perfectly. But he didn't just listen. He also obeyed. Philippians 2 tells us, verse 8, And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus listened and obeyed perfectly because he knew that you and I couldn't. He knew that you and I couldn't. He lived the perfect life and achieved your perfect obedience for you. Then he died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose again on the third day to give you his perfect righteousness. So you went from like being expelled to being on the honor roll. That's how God sees you, right? Perfect obedience. That's how God looks at you. He sees the obedience of Jesus. And that righteous record was placed on you, imputed to you, given to you. And ironically, that gift of perfect obedience, it now frees us up to actually obey better. We're never perfect, but we actually obey better when we're given that perfect record of righteousness. All that crushing pressure to, to be righteous enough for God on our own is off of us. Jesus did it for us. And so paradoxically, it leads us to obey. Not because we have to, but out of joy because we want to. Like James says, we look now into the law of liberty, not the law that enslaves us. I love what John Newton, the hymn writer, says. He says, To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. That's where we're at, friends. Out of the vast goodness that God has shown you and I in Jesus, it transforms us into people who want to be. It transforms us into people who see it's, it's now duty into choice. Now I, I love him so much. He's given everything for me. I want to obey him. Right? That's why Jesus says in John 14, 15, if, me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Think about a time when you were in love. Of course, students, you can stop blushing now. Um, they, always, they always start blushing when we bring this up. But when you really felt strong feelings for somebody, right, when you were in love, if, if you were interacting with that person and they asked you to do something for them, would you kind of be like, ah, always bugging me, dragging your feet, what a chore? No, you'd be, you'd be jumping right up. Yes, I'll, I'll do that. I'd love to do that. Your wish is my command. That's what it is when you're in love, right? I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything. We were joking around about how this, you know, young married couples, we went to a wedding yesterday, and they're, they're all over that, right? Like, they will do anything for each other. Give them about 10 or 15 years, though, and then they're like, eh, you know, back rub, maybe not tonight. I'm not going to do that tonight, right? Um, but it's your wish is my command when you're in love. Well, I think the same kind of weird thing happens to us with Jesus, Right? We first meet Jesus personally and realize what he did for us, and we're astonished. 
We're smitten by him. We just can't believe the love that he's lavished on us. And, and in return of love, we say, I'll do anything you ask me to do. Your wish is my command. Well, then it's kind of like an old marriage. Many years down the road, and we're like, ah, you're always asking me to do hard stuff, aren't you? And maybe we just, maybe we're not even listening that much anymore, let alone obeying. What's the cure for that? Well, you've got to return to your first love. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. You've got to return. to. You've got to think again upon what Jesus has done for you, how he laid himself out for you, how he gave up his own life, his own breath, so that you can be rescued. We need to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice and let that transform us from a slave into a child, from duty into choice. That and only that is what's going to give you the power to listen and obey. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this text. As challenging as it is to us, Lord, we're not very good at listening, and we're not very good at obeying. And both of those things um, are things that you ask of us, require of us. And so, Lord, I thank you that you've met those requirements for us in Jesus, that you've made us enough in Jesus, and you've freed us up paradoxically to do our best, to obey you out of love for you, out of the love that you've shown us. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.